welcome to Exploring the Marketplace podcast. My co-host is Bob Hassan, and we are creating a conversation with Christian marketplace leaders who have careers that have been impacted by their faith. We are also answering your questions about entrepreneurship, business leadership, careers, and how the kingdom of God changes your impact in the marketplace. Come join the conversation now. Welcome to Exploring the Marketplace. I'm Bob Hassan with my good friend, Sean Bowles. Sean, how are you today? This is a good day. Like I'm excited about today because we have on the show, Dr. Anita Lewenga, who I've met when she was on the front lines in New York City during the COVID pandemic. I mean, when no one wanted to be on the front lines and she was crazy enough because she followed God to say yes and be there. And she didn't get COVID the whole time. I was able to uh, call her and pray for her while she was on the front lines. It's crazy, but I want to read her bio to you. It's Anita Luenga is a physician who's lived in four countries. She's driven by her desire to empower patients. She enjoys taking the time to demystify medical topics. And online, she can be found as Anita Luenga at LinkedIn, Luenga AMD on Instagram, and Luenga MD on Twitter. Luenga is spelled L-W-A-N-G-A. And she's just a phenomenon. She hears from God. She has a deep faith and deep maturity in her relationship with God. So I think we're really going to have a great show. It's amazing because, you know, you read her bio and she's a medical doctor and her bio is like, you know, very short. She's a humble woman. (laughs) I mean, like we, she has 72 medical degrees, but she's not going to talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, and it's interesting because I think of like people who felt called to go on the front lines of COVID. I think as a Christian, I, I, we probably won't talk about this on the show today, but I mean, I think like what things that are going on in the world right now, we have all the wars and rumors of wars. We still have COVID stuff going on. We have politics like crazy around the world, natural disasters. And a lot of Christians are getting in that mindset of like, let's store up provisions and hide. Let's go. So we're, you know, we're going to be targeted next. So like, let's disappear or let's pretend we're invisible versus like, I'm actually going to help and be a solution because Christians are supposed to rise and shine for your lives come. The glory of the Lord rises upon you. See thick darkness covers the earth. And most of us don't take that seriously enough, but I love these voices. Like you see it maybe with like a Sean Foyton worship, but you don't always get to hear the stories of the doctor on the front lines in New York and and people who are doing it in their careers. And I think this is really phenomenal. Yeah. I I also think it's interesting when you have somebody who's so accomplished as Dr. Anita and, you know, anyone else you can fill in the blanks that to wonder, like, do they struggle with the things us normal people struggle with? (laughs) (laughs) You struggle, Bob? I don't ever struggle. (laughs) No, I think it's true. It's like, and we get to hear through the show, many, many executive level leadership type people at times who share like their struggles at home or their struggles in their identity or their struggles in their career and believing for greater things to happen. And I I love that. I, I think Anita's the kind of person that when we ask her that question, she's going to be very vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to hear her story. Up next, Dr. Anita. My new book is called Encounter, a spiritual perspective that will shape your faith for the coming move of God. And this book is going to help you to understand the days we're living in right now and have an urgency to meet with Jesus the way that I did through some of these encounters that are going to form your faith. So you can get this book. So make sure to go to bullsministries.com encounter a spiritual perspective that will shape your faith for the coming move of God. Well, welcome back to Exploring the Marketplace. I'm Bob Hassan with Sean Bowles. Sean, we are with Dr. Anita. Anita, we're so glad to have you today. Thanks for being on. Thank you. I'm really excited to finally have this chance to talk with both of you. Yeah. 
I know our audience is going to love this because you were on the front lines of coronavirus when it was going on in New York. You, I mean, you were putting yourself at risk, but you believed that God put you there, which is really key. I think our audience needs to hear about that. And also a lot of your stories, there's so many things in your, in your life stories that are like just an example of what God can do. And I think of it like an Old Testament prophet, their life prophesied to all of Israel, like things and ways that you made choices, I think is going to prophesy to our audience today or speak to our audience spirit today. So let's let's kind of go there. Like you were just in New York just not too long ago. During, I mean, we didn't know what the pandemic was. We didn't know how serious it was going to be. What was that like for you? It has been an incredible journey, to be honest. Um, honestly, I think I'm still processing everything. Um, oh. Being a physician, you see life and death all the time. But I think with COVID, it was a special situation in terms of the fact that the whole world stopped. The whole yeah. world was scared. The whole world did not know what the next steps were. Mm -hmm. um, and for me and my colleagues, it was um, a very surreal situation. Um, we knew as physicians, we're called to take care of people no matter what the situation is. But I don't think we really thought we'd be in a situation where we're putting our lives at risk every day. And yeah. I think one story in particular, I'll never forget. Um, when all the information started coming out about uh, people, especially closer to the city, uh, going on life support and uh, doctors not knowing what to do, a lot of us were reaching out to all of our colleagues, in, in, especially in New York City, asking them, what are you doing or how are you doing? And one of my colleagues um, made this comment in, in terms of uh, letting all of us know that um, you know, that we should look out for each other. But he's like, guys, I think we should save one ventilator for ourselves because this was a time when we didn't have enough PPE, we didn't have enough ventilators, and we were anticipating maybe one of us, likely one of us would get sick. Um, so it was funny because he was not the guy that you'd expect to be the most nervous and scared. And yeah. um, he's a very stoic, tall, muscular guy, but he made this comment. But the amazing thing is that the colleagues that I work with, um, and we're the ones who are seeing or taking care of COVID patients most of the time, none of us got sick. Wow. None of us had to take time off. Huh, yeah, that's amazing. We'd asked your ministries, uh, both ministries for prayers, and uh, none of, to, to protect my colleagues, none of my colleagues got sick, which was a miracle. Other people within the hospital got sick, a lot of the nurses, but none of my colleagues got sick. I mean, that's phenomenal. That's a miracle in itself, just because it was so contagious, especially there in New York and just on the front line. So, so what does life look like now? What are you working on now? Uh, right now, I have a new position. I'm working as an internist uh, back home in Canada. Um, in terms of the patients I take care of, I take care of COVID patients, not as much as I used to before. Uh, the numbers have gone down, but we have a team that's dedicated to taking care of COVID patients. Um, I work primarily in the hospital, and I take care of patients with all kinds of conditions um, that cause them to come to the hospital. Wow. Anita, that's so amazing. I, I'm interested in how, when you're practicing, when you're in the middle of COVID or treating patients, how you hear God, Do, does he direct you like with diagnosis? What does that look like in your life? That That is such an interesting question because I was just thinking about that before um, we were having this discussion and definitely the training helps. It helps to have um, almost like an algorithm in terms of how to take care of patients, mm -hmm. but all physicians know that algorithm is not it. You have to look at the patient you're taking care of you in front of you and throw out the algorithm if it's necessary. For me in particular, I find the way God really speaks to me is by a hunch. 
So definitely I'll take my time and talk to patients. Um, but sometimes I get a feeling, especially if it's a patient that I'm not, say, directly responsible for. I'll give a couple of examples. Um, in my previous position, I used to work at night. So I would admit patients and then I'd also follow the patients that had been previously admitted by my colleagues and check up on them if something went wrong. Sometimes I just get a hunch. You should get up and just walk around the floors and make sure everything is OK. And the times I do that a patient would deteriorate and the wow. nurses would be so happy that I happened to be there because if they call me, I might be in another building and it takes five minutes to get to their building. But I've had many situations where I just happened to be walking around and they're like, the patient's blood pressure is dropping. What do we do? And they were happy that I was there. Yeah. Um, another situation, um, there was a patient who was fairly unstable. After we stabilized the patient, I had other patients to go see in the emergency room, but I just had this feeling that I should sit on this floor. If I have notes to write or orders to write, I should just hang out for a little while, like at least, I, at least half an hour longer than I should have. I hung out. And just when I was about to leave, that patient deteriorated again. So the nurses were uh, so happy to be there. So, but that was not me. That's not something that you can foresee when you, in your mind, you think this yeah. is going to be fine, but your gut feeling says, no, you should stay or you should go in and walk around this floor when you have no, you know, well, no patients yeah. who are unstable that you know of, but it's just a gut feeling. So for so, me, and I love what you're saying. Cause to me, I yeah. think about like how a lot of people who don't understand religion or don't understand Christianity, they mm -hmm. don't understand the value it brings to our normal careers and how God, he, I mean, he comes into your heart and your thoughts and your spirit and your intuition. And he's mm -hmm. like, just stay right. for a minute. And someone's life is like, someone totally gets to live their life out because you sat for 30 minutes and did paperwork. I mean, that that to me is like, talk about adding value and how, especially when you're affected by it. Like I've had some Christian doctors who, because of their, what they did for me, I'm alive. You know, like right. I actually am living because of their, what they did. And you think of that and just go, man, God is so good to put people. Like we think of him, you know, when he brings his anointing, it's for the church and to go build a missions, mm -hmm. but he's, he's brought on your life the ability to become a doctor and to do it with him and through him, which I think that's one of the things I'm excited for our audience to hear more of your story. Anita, it's so interesting. Both Sean and I have a friend who's an emergency room doctor here in California. And he's, he basically is mirroring the same things that you're saying that, that in a, in an emergency situation, he gets quiet, he gets calm, the Lord speaks to him. And then all of a sudden, he's ordering a test or something that he, that he, nobody would ever have thought to order. And it, it does that is, it sounds like that's happening with you too, because you're so tuned in with God in your, in your career. Absolutely. And I, I, I it's, I can't say it's me because sometimes yeah. it's something that I think is not required or I'm being too cautious, but those are the moments when I just go with that feeling. Absolutely. That, you that's know, so awesome. Yeah. Well, let's talk uh, kind of the beginning of your career, because one of the things that you've said is that you've stumbled along into opportunities that you shouldn't have had. And I think that that's so good for people to hear, because the fact that so many of CEOs and doctors and lawyers feel like they have imposter syndrome, like, should I be here? Should I? Is this really like, am I, am I gifted for this? Am I smart enough for this? Am I the right choice for this? And you've gone through a little bit of that. So talk about your early career. And when you first started really going after this and some of the breakthroughs that you had. Yeah, I think I have to go back to the beginning, even before I started um, 
my whole career. Mm. Uh, to be honest, when I started university, I was not the best student. Um, I actually flunked out of my first year of college. They put me on academic probation and it's because oh, wow. I wrote, wow. well, my mom helped me write some kind of letter. I don't know what she wrote in that letter because she took the whole thing over, but they were going to kick me out. So <laughs> they, yeah, after oh, one year, so they gave me another chance. And through that, they actually got me a tutor who was very instrumental in helping me build my time management and study skills. I think that was a big problem. And I didn't realize it before, because in high school, you can just get away with like reading the night before and, you know, you just cruise yeah. into the test. But real life is not like that. You have to prepare <laughs> and you have to be on time. Um, so that was a gift even though it was a difficult situation to go through all of that, being on probation, it was a gift to have that tutor. And the skills she taught me helped me throughout medical school, especially because the volume of material you're getting and the pace at which you're getting it at is very difficult to digest. Um, so because I didn't do very well, it took me some time to actually get into medical school. I actually completed that first undergraduate degree and was uh, working on a second one when I decided to start applying for medical school. And I applied to several medical schools and the school I actually got into rejected me, oh, wow. which is crazy. Wow. Yeah. Um, they sent me yeah, a letter of rejection. And one week later, for some reason, they called me back. And I think that some reason is God. I think God yeah is the one who wanted me to actually be in that school. So they said, yeah, we'll, we'll accept you on a conditionary basis and we'll see how things go. Uh, so things actually went fairly well and I got to uh, complete my first years of medical school in Cayman Islands. And that is a beautiful island. I was not on vacation, obviously, but it's a beautiful <laughs> island and it's safe. And I think that gave my parents and my family, you know, um, some relief knowing that I'm in a safe place despite being away from home. I don't know if you guys have ever been there, mm. but they're pretty strict in terms of who they let in and the screening process to get there, which is surprising. Um, so the two years there were, were a blessing. The island is very interesting. Um, the people on the island are a mix of British and Jamaican, and okay. they're religious, but I also appreciate some of the things that they do. For example, on Sunday, there was no loud music allowed. All the businesses were closed down. Mm. Um, they even had rules in terms of how uh, we could walk around on Sundays. Like they were like, no walking around in bikinis on Sunday. You have to be. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So it was a great experience. Um, and then getting into residency, uh, which is a training after you finish medical school was also a challenge for me. Um, the reason I say it's a challenge is because I chose to apply for residency in the U.S. Um, the barriers I faced are that I'm not a U.S. citizen and I went to a medical school which is not in the U.S. And obviously, mm -hmm. we prioritize placing U.S. Mm -hmm. citizens who have gone to medical school in the U.S. in residency positions. So those were some of the strikes against me. On top of that, I applied a year later than I should have. Um, mm -hmm. I started off cycle, meaning most people start school in September. I started in January. So by the time I did all my applications for residency, the first time everything was off. So I didn't get a position. So the second time around, um, I actually, I was actually at a interview in New Jersey. Um, and I did not match there. The reason I didn't end up going to New Jersey is because I think God actually used one of my friends to get me an interview position in Chicago. Mm. So even the circumstances around that interview were um, not typical. Uh, I was in this interview in New Jersey on a Friday afternoon. I turned my phone off. Everything was away. And um, he asked them about my application. And they're like, yeah, she has to be here on Monday. And he was calling me, calling me, but 
I was on the interview. And then after the interview, I turned my phone off. I was walking around shopping. I think by the time he got a hold of me, it was seven o'clock at night. He's like, you have to be here on Monday. Wow. So I just booked a ticket right away and made it to Chicago. And even with the interview, I was not the candidate they should have picked. Um, the reason I say that is the first thing that they told us, we were all, all the candidates were seated around in a, uh, around a circular table. Oh, so we were together. Yeah, we were together at the beginning and the program director introduced himself. He introduced the program and he said, we prefer U.S. citizens or green card holders. And I was like, oh, that's not me. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to relax. I'm going to have fun. You know, I wouldn't do this <laughs> seriously. And I was just, I was just myself because the pressure was off. Um, and the amazing thing is after the interview, they called me and another girl aside. And I was like, oh dear, there must be something wrong with my paperwork. This is, you know, something is wrong. Um, but they offered both of us positions. Wow. And I, I was not supposed to be there. I was not a U.S. citizen. I was not a green card holder. I was not the ideal applicant. You know, I, I had a gap in my application. I had like time I'd taken off in between medical school and they still, you know. Anybody who hears us who's been through that medical intern process understands you don't get a residency very easily and you definitely don't get it when you have almost strikes against you in a way. Yes. And so the fact that you got this, I love that God brought you to America for that season and that, and Chicago is one of the hardest cities to go to in the, in that context. And so tell us about that. Tell us about your first season and when you were feeling like, okay, now I know God put me here. Was there a why to it? Was it like, oh yeah, this is why I, che you know, I could check this off my heart list. I can't really uh, say there's a why for sure. But for me, um, I feel that the time I had in Chicago was very um, poignant in terms of letting me know that or confirming my calling as a physician. Um, and also just giving me this heart for serving people that are in underserved areas. Mm -hmm. um, I did my residency on the west side of Chicago, which is a pretty rough area. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of our patients have very like major challenges. You can't even describe them to people. And even this, our safety, I, I remember somebody asking me, weren't you afraid for your safety when you went you know, to work in that part of the city? But the thing is, when you work there, you don't think about that. You're yeah. there to serve the patients and the patients, no matter what is going on around them, when they are in such a vulnerable position, they're so thankful for having you there. And for me, being of African descent and being able to serve patients um, who are of African descent, that to me was something that was very special because yeah. most of their physicians were not of African descent. So a lot of times I'd find patients would... Um, probably trust me more or give me more information that they wouldn't necessarily give the other doctors. So I think for me, that was a very um, eye-opening experience. I, I think it's interesting, Anita, you going back to your story that you had a tutor or, or a mentor, right. That, that took you under their wing and got you through into to fulfilling your destiny really. And I see, so there's such a God story in that. And then all the way to your residency, when they, they called two of you aside to pick you, it just, it just seems like God was full of that. How, how are you now in your career with your confidence? Um, do you feel, do you struggle with, with um, like the imposter syndrome? Do you, are you confident all the time? How to how, tell our listeners how, how does it work for you now? That I you're think it's good for him to hear a doctor talk about this. <laughs> yes. I, that, but I mean, it's, it's very interesting because she's so honest about all this. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. I think every day um, I struggle with imposter syndrome, to be honest. And I think um, especially more so 
as as I was beginning to work on my own stay as a resident, um, you're given a lot of autonomy and also transitioning from being a resident to an attending. For me, how I deal with that is by praying because I'm like, you know what, God, I can study all I want to study. I can memorize everything. That's never enough. Even the smartest doctor, that's not enough. You can still miss stuff. So I think the way I overcome it, again, is by praying. And the incredible thing is when you are in a situation that's fairly serious, you have to forget about yourself. Because I think part of the whole imposter syndrome is focusing on yourself, focusing on your limitations. But when somebody's sick, that's not the moment to focus on how you feel. You have to focus on what's going on in front of you. And I think in that moment, God is able to, you know, bring the pieces of everything you've learned together and, um, prompt your mind to think of certain things. And just, um, especially for me, there are certain situations where everyone else is running around going crazy. Say a person's heart stops beating and you have to run what we call a code and run CPR and direct CPR. I find in those moments, I usually become calmer. I talk slower. I slow Mm -hmm. down. That's not me. I think that's God, you know, kind of taking me over and, you know, also setting the tone for the rest of the room. I think one thing I've observed is if you're also all over the place, everyone else also becomes more anxious. So I think God definitely in that moment indwells me and reminds me to be calm and bring the temperature of the room down so that we can function in an appropriate manner. And that's wild. And I think having a life that's surrendered to Jesus, we all know that we don't deserve the calling he's created for us. Mm -hmm. And so I think ultimately as a Christian, we, we can overcome imposter syndrome differently than everybody else because we know we're dependent on God to do the works that he set before us before time began and that we're not worthy of those works. Only Jesus is, but through him, he's made us worthy. And I know you know that. And I know a lot of our listeners know that, but it's different when you see it play out, like in your career in those moments of crisis where it's like God's presence comes and, and, and the God, someone else might be mean or somebody else might drive it like a taskmaster and bring a different atmosphere and environment to it. And here you're just bringing your a game through Jesus, not through your natural yeah. disposition I think it's so encouraging to hear because I think I can I can see in my own life times where crisis or times of breakthrough or times of goodness where it's like I don't deserve to be here in this space. I'm only here because God put me here so I could rest differently. I think that's a really cool you know yeah. thread I keep hearing through your story, which is so amazing. Well, uh, we have a few more th- uh, minutes here, Bob, and yeah. I think it'd be really cool if we had Anita tell us like what would you tell other medical professionals who are going after their career with God? Mm-hmm. What advice yeah. would you give them? I think the best advice I could give them is to rely on God. Um, there will always be somebody who's smarter, somebody who knows more, somebody who has more experience. But I think with God, it's not about you winning. It's about taking care of the patient. But with God, you'll be able to do what you need to do to keep your patients safe and to take care of them the way they need to be taken care of. Oh, that's beautiful, Anita. You know, our identity, our baseline identity is that we're loved sons and daughters of God. And this comes through with you time and time again. And all through your whole life, you recognize you're this loved daughter of God that that God is using in a medical profession. It's so inspiring for all of us, whether we're in the medical profession, whether wherever we are to listen to you. And thank you so much for joining us. Up next, we have questions with Sean and Bob. Everything we're doing with our podcast is made possible by our incredible partners and financial contributors to our ministry. They are helping us to bring the equipment to upgrade everything we're doing to have the time and space to do this. It's a free offering we give to you. Maybe you're listening in your shower. Maybe you're listening in your car, your workout. Well, 
I want to continue to do this. I want to continue to have these incredible guests tell their prophetic process of how God's spoken to them so you can get a vision of how God speaks to you and also so that other people all around the world can have this resource at their fingertips from their smart device, their computer, their YouTube, whatever they have, that they will have this this incredible resource. So go on the partnership journey with us. As a partner, you're going to receive an email and communication every month from us. We resource you with a partnership page that has literally dozens and dozens of messages that only of our partners have. We also have partnership contribution back to you where we actually give resources. You guys get stuff first. Usually at Christmas time, we have a new book come out. You guys get it before everybody else and you get it signed. I love our partnership program. I love being on a journey with our partners because they are some of our, they're a team, they're our family. They're the ones who are contributing to make this happen. Come be a partner today. Go to bowlsministries.com under giving and membership and you will become a partner. Bob, I love this segment because we get to hear questions from our listeners yeah, and from do. our people on social media. And so we have a great question today about MLM, which is always gets a bad rap. So I read the question to us. And let's okay, I'll, I'll read the question, Sean. Like, I can't wait to hear your answer for this. <laughs> uh, from our listener on Facebook, we would love your thoughts on the multi-level marketing network. I know it has a bad rap and deservedly so. Can it be done with kingdom mindset? So here's the thing is with MLMs, and I, I'd love to hear your perspective too, Bob, because we've talked about this a little bit, but not in a while. Yeah. With MLMs, multi-level marketing networks, when you're using your relational circle to basically be, go into business with you and to sell a product that you believe in, it, there's two types. There's one that's very um, fake and it's rooted in greed. It doesn't mean it's a fake product, but it's using an overpriced product or you can get it on Amazon cheaper and a different brand. But there's this leading to believe that you're part of this almost cult-like following of if you get ours, your life's going to change. If you do ours, you're going to be healed. If you do ours, you're going to have the best product in the world. And we've seen, you know, numerous shows like Lulu Rowe is a good one on, you can watch that on uh, uh, Prime Television. You can watch the whole series there about how the downfall of this incredible company that basically just turned to crap because the people weren't following kingdom or good principles. And so you see this over and over with MLMs where it turns into a weird greed slash cult following. And that's what you want to stay away from. But there's people who are bringing really good best practices to business and saying, here's something that we want to offer that's not always in the mainstream market. There's some medical devices. There's some supplements. There's some others. There could probably be one. And this is a business model. So it could be in almost any genre. And you want to look for the signs of greed. You want to look for the signs of false urgency or... Uh, you can't live without this product or all those salesy, you know, old car salesman techniques and don't align yourself to something that has those because typically, again, you could find those products better on Amazon and it's free shipping. So you don't, you don't have to get in someone's downline. But yeah. I have friends that have become very successful off of uh, MLM marketing and they've done it with integrity and they're Christian kingdom people who believe in their products and they're doing it that way because it's a model where their product can't be controlled or it can't be... Um, Maybe it can't be mass produced in the same level, or maybe they're trying to protect certain quality from a mass production, you know, type of process. And I think that there's room for this model. I just think it has to be done with the right, without usury. I agree. And Sean, I remember back a number of years ago to you and I talking about agenda. And I said something to you like, I don't ever have an agenda when we talk. And you said, you absolutely have an agenda and your agenda is this and it's good. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I I meant hidden agenda. Yeah. And the reason I bring that up is in multi-level marketing, sometimes 
you, your friends or people that you know will call you and say, Hey, would you like to hang out? And you're like, Oh, that's cool. They want to hang out with me. Uh, and you sit down and then the glaze comes over their eyes and they start talking about this multi-level marketing and you feel so used and you're yeah. like, Oh my gosh, like I, I, I just, and, and so I think this question, can it be done with a kingdom mindset? Absolutely. But have your agenda be out before people tell people what you want them to, what you want to talk to them about, let them know that you're in this new business that you're excited about and you want to share the product. And I, I think agree. if, if more people would do that, then, then this multi-level marketing would just take on a, a, a new wrap. It would be good. Yeah. And like Sean said, there's plenty of companies that are great. So thank you so much for the question. Go to bowlsministries.com, uh, press the ask questions with Sean and Bob button, and you can either audio record or you can type a question in for us and we'll answer it on the next Exploring the Marketplace podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to the Exploring the Marketplace podcast, part of the Exploring podcast series. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider subscribing or even rating and reviewing so that more people can connect to us. Also, we'd love to be part of your spiritual journey and we have amazing resources at our website, www.boldsministries.com, B-O-L-Z ministries.com, including other free media, TV shows, books, and even an ongoing mentoring online platform. See you there.